sometimes I'll be sitting there in my office eating like a sweet potato with cinnamon. And, you know, somebody will come across and say like, oh, you know, oh my God, I feel so bad for you. You're, you're dieting. You're sort of like in this deprivation state. And, you know, he said basically, I think the same thing that all three of us are trying to say of like, no, 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 no. Like I'm the one that's doing myself a favor here. You know, what I began to realize, Josh, is like, as I began to tackle, as we've been talking about, food has been a massive part of my journey. As I began to, you know, really do this, I began to realize that I was living off processed foods and sugar, like literally my entire life. Like I would wake up in the morning, I would eat a bowl of frosted cardboard flakes with milk. <laughs> and then I'd, I'd eat like a muffin or a brown, you know what I mean? Like I would, that, that, that was literally my entire diet. And so when I began to switch and I began to really become aware of this, I realized that the more and more that you are off sugar and processed foods and the things that you know you shouldn't be eating, the less and less power they have over you. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. This second conversation with Mark Metry is about the intersection of personal growth, food, and the environment. Last time, he didn't really connect with the environment at the start. This time, you'll hear that it deeply resonates with him largely through the intersection of health and food. And I see this over and over again, that people protect themselves from saying that the environment means much to them when they talk about it, but they actually care very deeply. I think that our strategies, the mainstream media strategies to act on the environment, lead people to protect themselves from revealing how much they care. People make it a moral issue. They make it about facts, right, wrong, other ways that motivate people to protect themselves because people don't want to be seen as wrong or evil or things like that. I think the change in people's behavior will come from the opposite, from opening up, from allowing people to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes, not from feeling compelled to comply or by imposing judgment on them. Nobody knows everything. Environmental action won't come from people knowing more. Nearly everyone knows enough to act on what they care about. It will come from people feeling comfortable acting without fear of judgment. Then they can act. I predict that when they do, they'll find that they enjoy what they're doing and they'll want to do more. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Mark Metry. Mark, how are you doing? Dude, I'm doing phenomenal. Thank you so much for having me back on again. I love the brightness and the enthusiasm that you answer that with. And I don't think you're just saying that to me that I think you're like that all the time. Or actually, not just, not just so happy all the time, but like forthcoming. And like sometimes I'm sure you're sad like everyone. Totally, man. I'm definitely at times sad, confused, uh, stressed out, sometimes even hopeless. but you know, man, I'm, I'm really seeing this really interesting evolution to myself as I'm getting myself out there, as I'm speaking, as I'm uh, interviewing, as I'm, you know, continuously sort of gathering data. 
I always just sort of come back to, you know, like how can I sort of like push my real, true, authentic self? And I know that sounds like a ton of buzzwords just sort of sling together, but it's like, how can I push the real me to the front edge of reality itself in every moment versus letting sort of like the mundane survival circumstances that we find ourselves in, whether that's being fatigued or laziness or burning out or uh, being unfocused or being not connected to something that we love doing. And so that's just a, that is a a daily and a moment to moment practice for me, man. And I'm, I'm glad you, you said that. So thanks. You know, it doesn't sound to me like buzzwords. It sounds to me like that's the language of leadership. I mean, you know, there's different parts of leadership. We're talking about personal leadership as opposed to, say, organizational leadership. But, you know, you had something last time we spoke, there was something that you picked up on or that you spoke about naturally that I think a lot of people miss, which is, and, and you went through a transition because when, when we first started talking about the environment, and in a second, I want to hear about how your, your challenge went and, and how the farmer's market stuff went. But first, I want to comment that at first, when I started talking about the environment, you were, how do I put it? You weren't like, knowledgeable about it. I think you're a little concerned about saying too much about it because you're like, okay, I know that this is an issue in the world, but it's not something that I'm really on top of. But then when we really start talking about it, you engage on the emotional side of things. And I don't think it takes much to look at a garbage dump and a forest and know like which one we want more of. And yet people let their, you know, you need some knowledge, right? There is some science or some, it's not like pure opinion, but a lot of people get stuck with feeling like, oh, there's experts out there. I'm not an expert enough to know things. And it's really much more, what you talked about, people's challenges in life tend to be internal. They tend to, well, maybe you could put in your words, how would you describe improving your life? Is it a matter of how much money you have in the bank? Is it how much, what connections you have? What I was reading was, it's like, they're generally internal hurdles. And that if you, I would put it in my terms, the external life that you live is is the physical manifestation of the beliefs and habits that you've created internally. <laughs> Sorry, I just have a uh, I have a smile, uh, <laughs> a pretty wide grin across my face, man. Because you know that's that's exactly the way that I perceive life. You know, for me, I you know you know this, but you know if I could tell a quick story here, you know I'm I'm somebody who didn't really come from from any kind of money. I never really had money growing up, but yet. When I was 15 years old, I sort of stumbled into something that enabled me to become self-made on the internet at something that I loved doing. And I made a ton of money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's like when that happened, my definition, this happened to me when I was 15 years old. So I was pretty young. And when that happened to me, that's sort of where I just like had a, a conscious interrupt looking back at it now. And I stopped and I sort of paused in my tracks and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I, I sort of had like this unconscious definition of success that was sort of like the default path of, you know, once you get a certain amount of numbers in your bank account, like, you know, after you, you go to college, you, you get a degree, you get a entry level job at a corporation and then you work your way up and then, you know, maybe you become some kind of executive or you have some kind of a high position and you're making a a six figure salary or seven figure salary. And then you buy a house and then you have a wife and a dog. And that's, that's when life is perfect. That's when all your problems will sort of go away. And, you know, when I made that insane amount of money at the time to me as a 15 year old, 
I really just began to understand that that's simply not true. And it set me on this very long path that's been up to six, seven years now. I'm 21 today. Happy uh, birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, it's not, a, it's not my birthday. It's, um, I'll be 22 and, um, I'll be 22 in three months. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So I, I'm sorry, bad wording there, but, um, but yeah. And so I really just began to figure out, man, I mean, success is literally what you just said of that sort of internal world. And, and what I just said prior to that of like, sort of putting your, your best foot forward on the front edge, the, the front side of your seed in life. Because, you know, if you're doing that and you're always pushing towards growth, you're always pushing towards discomfort, even if you're always pushing towards going to that next level, while also being grounded and rooted in gratitude and in love and then always trying to have that, you know, 100% integrity of your character and, and being truthful. That's what I think success is all about. And oftentimes, not every time, but I oftentimes I find that people, when they have those internal resources, let's say, they often can create amazing things in the world. But there are definitely exceptions. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my philosophy right now. I can't remember. Did you ask a question? Was there any, <laughs> I can't remember. But <laughs> well, what I, I was commenting on your perception or your, your take on the environment. It went from being like, I don't really know that much. You didn't say it that way, but I read that you were kind of a little nervous about like, obviously this is important to a lot of people. I'm not an expert in this field. That's, that's really, it's the expertise. I think you were saying you weren't an expert, but it didn't take long for you to, for you to connect that. Like once you get how you feel, you know what to do and to act. And I hope that people rewind what you just said and what you talked about, how, how to live a life. I'll say with healthy mind and body. That approach, I'm not sure if that's the way you put it, but I'm, I hope you don't mind my putting it that way, to have a healthy mind and body. It's the same approach to have a healthy environment. And it's integrity and you know, living by what you think is right and, and not just doing following the path ahead of you know, We have a path ahead of us. We have these systems around us that pollute a lot. And they were formed at a time when we didn't think that we could warm the globe or we didn't think that we could choke the oceans with plastic. And so if we just keep doing what people did at those times, we're going to keep having the effect that they had. And the flip side is, I don't think you live a life that's as easy as some people, but I think you live a life that's more rewarding, emotionally rewarding, happy, you know, different people call it different things, fulfilled. And, and I was listening to what you were saying, the, the, all the stuff that led up to when you said, wait, did you ask the question? If someone listens to that and says, if I apply that to the environment, how I react with respect to the environment, I think a lot of people are going to be really happy about how they interact with the environment and we're going to pollute less. And most people look to technology, innovation, markets, other people, and you know anyone else but themselves. And I don't think there's happy. And I think they think that it's going to be hard, like a slog, just like people who think that you have to do that path that you described about the six-figure, seven-figure salaries. And you know that, I think they probably think of it as a slog that they have to escape from. Hmm. You know... Um- Okay, so this is where I'll go with this. So right before we hit record, I was I was telling you that a few years ago, about maybe three, four years ago, I sort of got really obsessed with politics. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being interested in politics. Personally, I just learned that I'm not that kind of person. And, you know, Josh, the reason is, is I, I sort of became obsessed with that before I sort of discovered the very essence of what sort of self-development and growth and mindset were. 
And I began to realize that I had so much passion. I had so much fire in the belly of trying to make this world a better place, trying to, you know, make myself a better place, my family, all of the things that I care about. And, you know, I really sort of went through this time where I realized like, wow, maybe I'm not really making the world a better place if I'm just sitting on Facebook debating people and, and leaving just comments. Maybe, just, just maybe, maybe. yeah. <laughs> and so like what I began to realize is like all that fire was being sort of converted into that outlet of sort of like political commentary. And again, I do not think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But then I began to sort of think as like the single, the only thing that I can control in my life, it's, it's not even my family. It's, it's really not my friends. The only thing that I truly do have control over is myself. And I began to, to sort of like tackle what started off as like a political view of the world. That's really how I, how I got into self-development. And then when it comes to like the environment, like, a, like another sort of big, audacious global problem that is happening, you know, to, to all of us, the, like our home place. Because of like my sort of departure from politics, I also sort of felt the same way about, you know, environmentalism. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody that, you know, posts on my Instagram, you know, like quotes of like different environmental factor and climate change statistics. Like I see a lot of people do. And I, I think that's a good thing because I think we definitely need to build awareness. But to me, it just sort of seemed like a, like a far out issue. And then, you know, you start to apply the same philosophy that I learned when it came to like politics versus individual to the environment. And that's sort of like what we touched on of like, okay, what sort of can I do? Like, what can I do and not necessarily just sit down and like point at, you know, like the, the United Nations or the government or this corporation or, or, or that. I definitely think that's like some part of it, but I, I like the individuality the individual responsibility part. But what do you think about in terms of, of what I just said, Josh? It certainly came out in, in, what, in your reaction because when you started talking about acting, you went from, I'm kind of out of my element here to, I can't wait for this. And, mm. and I think there's a lot of people who go in both directions. Some people who, they're, they're going through the slog, the grind that you described before. And then they realize the environment's really important to them and they start acting and realizing, of course, governments should change. Of course, corporations should change. But we have control of ourselves and they start realizing that. And that's the fastest, most effective way to get change in those areas is to each person change. And that's not the end. There's not, but it's a necessary thing. And then I think they probably realize, oh, I can apply that same perspective to my mental and physical health. And they probably go that direction. And you, it feels like are going the other direction. You're doing, starting with the mental and physical health and then saying, wait a minute, that applies to the environment too. I'm going to have the same approach there. I work with a lot of people on personal development, growth and, and leadership and things like that. And a lot of times they think, how can I improve, you know, my social, this social skill or that social skill? They want to learn how to negotiate better. Or they want to, you know, and they get nervous because if they're doing it with their spouse or their boss, the ramifications of failure can be big. Like they could mess up their relationship. They get fired, stuff like that. And I point out acting on these things in the environment trying out something that you haven't done before, you know, feeling like, oh, this is something I'd like to try. I wonder if I can do it or trying to develop habits. If you, you know, maybe you haven't been able to get the habit of waking up on time or getting to work on time, or, you know, there's a million habits that people want to pick up. 
and they want to develop these skills among many skills of personal growth type, professional growth type skills that they might develop. Well, if, if you try to pick up a habit on the environment, one that you care about, that's a nice place to practice where if you fail, you just can be, you'll back where you started. You won't hurt anyone. And it's a really nice place to try these things out. I'm not pushing. I, I don't, I hope I don't sound like I'm pushing as, as a, that people should do that. I mean, you've, what you've gotten out of your personal growth and development. I feel like I've had experiences like that. I've hopefully many more to come and something similar in the environment that, you know, I was just talking to someone yesterday and um, she was, you know, her challenge was to use less uh, plastic bottles. And she goes in passing, you know, by the way, I'm picking up garbage too. I was like, what, what do you mean? She goes, yeah, because you pick up garbage. So now I pick up garbage when I'm walking around. If I'm at the beach, I just pick up garbage. And I'm like, she's happy to be picked. Like most people would say, you want me to pick up someone else's garbage? That's not what, I, like, that's not a better life. I don't want to do that. And now increasingly people are coming back and like, I'm enjoying picking up garbage. I'm like, I feel kind of good about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally, man. And um, uh, real quick, I, I found the little sort of quote. I, I just want to say this because I think it's really powerful. I think it definitely had a, a big impact on my life. And I, I love what you just said, by the way. But the, the quote is, when I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it was difficult to change the world, so I tried to change my nation. When I found I couldn't change the nation, I began to focus on my town. I couldn't change the town. And as an older man, I tried to change my family. Now, as an old man, I realize the only thing I can change is myself. And suddenly, I realized that if long ago, I had changed myself. I could have made an impact on my family. My family and I could have made an impact on our town. Their impact could have changed the nation. And I could have indeed changed the world. And sort of like from that inside out philosophy, that's really how I started doing everything that I was doing. And I began to see the other external areas of my life that I don't necessarily have control over began to seriously change. And I'll tell you the other thing, Josh, and I'm sure that you've noticed this too, which is so humbling and profound every time that I think about it, is I'll have, you know, this literally happens every single day now, but I'll get an email from somebody or I'll get like a video message or a voice message from somebody on LinkedIn or Instagram. And they'll tell me how, you know, there's a very specific line or, or something that they learned from listening to a guest on my podcast or something that I said that had a really impactful, really big change on their life where maybe it shifted their perspective or they thought of things differently or right after that podcast episode ended, they got up and they did this thing for the first time. And it's like, because of that, now they are on sort of the same track. And it's like, if somebody from India reaches out to me and they go through that and they begin sort of on that same path. I mean, dude, that's literally changing the world. And it's not because of anything that I'm doing or even my guests that are doing. Like, you know, Josh, before we hit record, I told you how somebody like really, really benefited from the podcast that you and I recorded on, on Humans 2.0. And they, they wrote down so many different things and they were actually implementing it. It's like, dude, I don't know what is more evident of sort of... Um, an individual change here. And on sort of a different note, something that really stuck out when you said about that woman that was, you know, purposely picking up garbage versus what most people would say of like, why do I have to pick up other people's garbage? And, you know, you know this for sure, 
Josh, and, and a lot of the successful people that we both know, you know, we've learned this. And this may seem a little bit basic, but I just think it's really important to learn on. It's like, I think it's so important to create your own struggles. I think it's so, so, so important to create your own adversity. I recently just interviewed Mark Manson. Uh, he wrote the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving Up, and he's coming out with a new book. And his, like his, his concept is very profound. And it's, it's this idea of, materially speaking, our, our world has never been a better place. You know, if you look at Daniel Pink's work and some other statisticians, you know, they'll show you statistics that say, you know, on, on many, many measurable factors, like every single country in the world is getting better on a developmental basis. But yet some certain issues like, you know, mental health, for example, how sort of a human thinks about the world does not mirror that. It's, it's getting worse. And the, the sort of argument or conversation that Mark is bringing up here is that, you know, like our brains were created in sort of an endless stream of problems. And if you don't have problems in your life, whether it was, you know, you were born a hundred years ago and, you know, you were drafted into World War I or you had to like work on a farm and hustle and grind like literally all day long so your family could have food or else they die, like you're all set. But today, you know, in our very convenient, very, very immediate sort of struggle-free world that we're all living in, that itself is creating so many problems. And I know for, for me in my life, you've got to be creating those struggles. You've got to be creating those adversities or else they will come to you and they will, you know, like hunt you down. So it's like whether you're volunteering and trying to help other people or whether it's you have like a really demanding physical exercise regimen or whether it's a meditation practice or whether it's, you know, you're an entrepreneur and you have this, the stresses of riding on the roller coaster of business or doing this or that. I think it's so, so, so important. And I often find that the more intentional struggles that I can sort of program throughout like my daily 24 hours and other long-term projects, the seemingly less perceived struggle and stress and adversity I face on a moment-to-moment basis. And that itself, on a surface level, seems very, very counterintuitive. So I, I love that you said that example with the trash. I'm glad that you brought that out and, and pointed out how, how it seems counterintuitive from one perspective. And to you, I, it's probably no way counterintuitive. It's probably like, obviously, if I don't do this, then things are going to encroach that I don't want. And this is, protects me from that. And, and it... <laughs> It reminds me of like in a, in a food sense, people refer to like, even people who are healthy people, they're like, you know, cookies should only be an occasional treat. I'm like, treat, they're punishment. An apple, that's a treat. A cookie, like a soda, ice cream, that's not a treat. That's punishment. I, and looking at it like a treat is like, now you've set up a situation where you're depriving yourself. But I never feel the need to deprive myself of an apple. I can eat all the apples I want. In fact, it's tough to eat too many apples because unlike, I don't know, chips or cookies, you, you don't want to keep eating them forever. And I, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing because I don't feel like it's a struggle to not eat ice cream. It was, <laughs> oh man, I was in the cycle. You know, I, I didn't want the ice cream intellectually, but it tasted good. So this is grad school and I always bought ice cream. And then 
I'd sit there and I'd be like, I don't eat ice cream, don't eat ice cream. And I'd be like, oh, I can't stop thinking about it. So I go eat some. And then while I was eating it, I feel like, oh, this is so good. It's so indulgent. And then as soon as I finish, I'm like, ah, oh, I feel bad again. But that cycle doesn't happen when I eat a piece of fruit. I'm like, oh, I want a piece of fruit. I eat it and then I'm like, all right, I don't want any more fruit. And I'm satisfied, which I never got the other way. And I feel like something similar happens. So if you look at, I think what you're talking about is a struggle people associate with feeling bad. I suspect you don't associate it with a bad feeling. No, no, definitely not. But similar to, you know, the past, and it sounds like you did too, I, I definitely associated that with, with that. And, and uh, I love the analogy of the cookie. I definitely sort of had that similar programming. And I think a lot of that comes from just marketing. You know, I think a lot of that comes from a lot of people in our space have sort of gotten so good at, you know, sort of communicating to one of the two parts of our brain of like the logical side versus the emotional side. And they've really figured out how to just straight cut to the emotional sort of psychological side and by labeling it as, you know, a treat. And it's like, I think this is really interesting because, you know, what I've found is I think there's always a way in life. And we've talked about this before, but similar to you, or at least based on my understanding, I don't really, you know, do cheat days either. I, I don't think of things that I used to love eating like ice cream and, and cookies and mozzarella sticks and cheeseburgers. I don't really view them the same way that I do today. And whenever I see them in front of me, there's no struggle. There's no deprivation anymore, like, like what you said. But I also think like, you know, life won't always go your way, but there's always a way that you can find a way. And it's like something that I've done is like, I do sort of love cookies. And something that I've done is like, I found a way to make them healthier without anything with like sugar or anything that's processed. And it really wasn't that hard. And they, they, they taste better than they've ever been. And it's just like, to me, that comes back of like, if you have that like desire, are you just going to stop at sort of like a surface level obstacle? Or are you just going to find a way, no matter how many different shortcuts you have to move past? And I think the whole sort of food diet analogy that you laid out is, is really interesting for a wide variety of reasons. And, you know, like, it's like something else. It's like a very common theme. And this is something that I just talked about before of like the whole concept of, you know, of this environment that we're talking about. And, you know, when it comes to technology and our society and the world that we've built, I mean, again, the sort of like the food industry is really evident of this, but it's like, you know, we're, we're doing stuff that is just simply that was once considered impossible in sort of a, a bad way. Like, you know, creating these various, you know, hydrogenated oils and chemicals and different, like, you know, different kinds of fructose that our body has never seen before. I think there's a lot of sort of um, uncompatibility with that. And I think like a, a big, big part of the mental health struggles in our country and in the world, I think a lot of that comes from food, man. I don't think it's the number one oh, most yeah. important thing. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. But dude, it's like I, I had one of the world's top holistic psychologists on my show. And one of the things that she told me is that the number one controllable factor, lifelong controllable factor that somebody can implement in their lives for mental health is nutrition. 
And it's just like, you begin to look at it from that lens and increasingly there's more and more people talking about this. Yeah. You had Dr. Gregor on your show, right? I had Dr. Gregor. I had a ton, ton of doctors that are up there from the the plant-based to the the other forms of, of food and other different kinds of health and various doctors, man. And it's like, I don't really see a lot of people that are talking about mental health, depression, anxiety, even things like ADD and like asthma and a lot of the the different things that kids today in developed countries are being diagnosed with. I don't really see any kind of mainstream consensus of, oh yeah, that's because they're being funneled down with like chocolate milk and like whatever people are eating, like yo-yos and fruit roll-ups. Like I don't see anybody talking about that at a grand scale. And I think that's like a super, super impactful thing. Because once somebody starts to do that, man, it opens up different areas of their life and different dimensions of themselves at an energetic level that they were just completely untapped to before. I know that was definitely the case with me, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I've noticed that too, that when a lot of people say, I don't have time to cook. I'm like, hmm, what do you, the way I usually think about that is when my nieces and nephews were tiny and I would read them books Sometimes I had this little game where, or the two little games. One is, these are like books that have like 10 words on the page and the pages are really thick because they're little kid stuff. And one thing I would do is I would turn multiple pages at once. So we'd finish the book in like two pages and they'd have to, Uncle Josh, you skipped a page. That was one game thing that I did. The other thing I was, I'd read really fast. So I'd be like, you know, once upon another, and they're just kind of squealing, giggling, it was really fun. Okay. So say that I read really fast and I finish the book faster. Now, do I put the book away and say, good, and I, and I finish the book with the kids and I can go into other stuff? I want to spend time with the kids. Like going faster doesn't mean I finish playing with them faster and I can move on to other things. I want to spend more time with them. And the same with food. Like if you're not putting time into your food, what are you putting time into instead? Because this is funny because I'm, I'm asking that question. Like people will answer that question. They'll be like, well, I can get work to, where things don't work and I can retire earlier because I'm making more money or something like that. But if you make the change, and I think you were saying a lot of it, you have to act and then figure out how to make it work, not figure out how to make it work and then act. Because you can spend forever trying to figure out how to make it work if you don't act. And you'll never start if you have to make it, you know, have to figure everything out before you even start. So you start doing something. And, you know, little by little, I would notice that how good it feels like shopping. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to transition soon of like shopping at a, at a farmer's market and getting vegetables in season and finding out how this thing tastes and how that thing tastes and, and the chopping and the blending and the cooking and the uh, sampling and the friends coming over is suddenly it's like, actually Dr. Greg used to be on my show in a, uh, something like a couple of weeks or a month. And I, one of the things I want to ask him is that I've noticed, and maybe this is just me wanting it, but I don't think so. Cause I'm feeling really good. I think the stuff in food, you know, that people talk about a sugar hype, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, it feels really good. Like I feel happy eating the food and I'm, I think it's the food. I think there's like things that are causing endorphins to be released or I don't know what the mechanism. And I think it's really, really, uh, what's the word? I mean, the healthy comes to mind, but that's too obvious. It's like, it's a really satisfying, fulfilling thing to cook vegetables from scratch and eat really fresh stuff and it naturally brings people over. And I mean, you and I have been, we've gotten really great guests on our shows and I invite them over to have my stews. 
And so I've had like heads of, of like multi-billion dollar companies at my place. And I'm like, and I'm cooking them. And it's, you know, it's very intimate. And it, I feel it now at first, the first time I invited a business person over that I didn't really know that well. And I was like, I know this may sound really weird. We're trying to find out a restaurant that we can meet around Union Square. Well, I live not far from there. Like, can we, I make these really good stews. I want to come over. And he's like, mm. I was like, and somebody came over and they're like, now we're friends. And as of then, as of him coming over, we were friends. And now I feel natural. Actually, Lorna Davis, who's the, she was a guest here. And she was, she's the senior advisor to the CEO of Danone. So Danone is like Nestle, one of the big um, European food companies. They sell a lot of packaged food. And so the CEO is coming to New York and I say, and she's like, I want to get you guys to talk. And I was like, invite him over some, for some of my famous no packaging vegetable stew. And only later did I realize that I was so comfortable making that invitation. It didn't occur to me that I was asking someone who made billions of dollars selling packaged food to come over and have unpackaged food. Oh, man. But it's become a lifestyle. Yeah. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. I want to switch over to hear all the stuff that you've been talking about applied to going to farmer's markets. When last we spoke, I don't think you really considered going to farmer's markets before, but you, it was kind of like in your within your horizon. And I was reading, like, this guy's going to go for this. And... I suspected you'd hit some challenges, but I suspected that you would also enjoy them. Mm. Yeah, man. So what you said at the very beginning of, and I'll talk about the farmer's market in a second and it'll tie in, but what you said at the beginning of, uh, of, you know, somebody saying, I don't have time to cook. And it's just like, you know, I said those same exact things. You know, I also said, I don't, I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to meditate. And to me, you know, I think it just comes down to, you know, having those values built in the first place. And I don't think there's a better person to sort of talk about this, you know, living from your values every day than yourself, Josh. But I think, you know, a big part of that is sort of knowledge and, and awareness. And it's like, if somebody has no understanding that food is actually a much more deeper and intimate part of life versus like, oh yeah, if I eat a ton of food, I'll gain some weight, but a more sort of deeper understanding of how it affects you know their psychology their emotions their physical body how it's actually you know information for all of our cells and all of our DNA and and so on and so forth and you, know, you can take a look at the you know gut microbiome and how that's like basically a brand new frontier that people are just figuring out but they're already figuring out it's like a, a key key piece in our health and how we process food it's like once somebody figures that out then I think you know, you can sort of reverse engineer it into a daily habit routine, fit it in your schedule because now you know uh, it's important. Because I definitely had no idea anything, whether you know whether it was food or meditation or physical exercise. But you know, for me, man, like in terms of the the farmers markets and what you really challenged me, you know, that going to a farmers market, it was always something that was sort of in the back of my mind. I had it, and I was like, you know, every farmers market that I sort of passed haphazardly without intention. I was always sort of like, oh man, I should like really sort of like go in there and take a look. I, I love sort of like the experience that that you laid out of 
like, you know, talking to the farmers and like looking at the various kinds of produce and picking it out and walking around and then taking it back to your house and like preparing them in a great way. And I, I love all of that. And, you know, for me, like after you had me on your show, I did end up going to a farmer's market, man. And it was very, very interesting. I ended up going on a day. It was raining, but I, I don't really mind that at all. But, you know, I picked out a, a handful. I didn't make a stew or anything, but I just picked out some of the vegetables that I regularly eat. And then I chose one that I have never really heard of. I think it was called like a, like a, a daikon. It tastes, sort of tastes like a radish. A green, yeah, yeah. Long, there yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah, this is everyone. Everyone who knows, you're in the northeast of the United States, and daikon radishes are. I learned this. I don't know exactly what it means, but it's a cover crop. So there's a lot of them around because I think it helps fix the nitrogen in the soil. So in the spring and winter in New York, Boston, we were going to get a lot of daikon radishes. I think they're from Japan. Yeah, yeah. It was. It looked unbelievably interesting for sure. Uh, it's it's a very interesting vegetable, but you know, as I as I did that, I ended up coming back. I, I ended up going back to the farmers market about uh, one other time, so I definitely need to get back in there, man. But what you really said about like I don't know if you said this, but I picked this up from from your con- the way that you talked about the farmers market. You, you were talking about sort of this really interesting paradigm, or not paradigm, but this really interesting take on the farmers market of it sort of being like a you know, like a camaraderie, sort of like this community where there's a ton of people that are really just vibing with each other and they're in there for a similar purpose. And, you know, we all have our differences, but it's kind of like this moment where, you know, I think food and even cooking on a bigger note, I think really that's, that's what makes us human. You know, like no matter who you are, whether you're an accountant or a politician or a billionaire, you know, you've all sort of got to eat. And whether you're somebody who cooks or you have other people cook for you or however you deal with with that, food is just a pivotal core, essential fundamental that I think is actually one of the core foundations of life and is not something that's like really sort of like extra credit. It's it's like really one of the the main things. And it seems like very, very weird. Like Like it seems so weird. Like, oh, you mean... When I sort of go on a lunch break at 1230, you're saying that is actually like a big part of my life. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, we both know like how you do one small thing is how you do everything. But I specifically think that everything relating to food from the ingredient gathering process, whether you're doing the farming yourself or you're going to a farmer's market, to uh, preparing it, to cooking it, to serving it, to sitting down with somebody and mindfully eating it and kind of like sharing throughout your day. That is like such a core, core level, man. And, and I love that because, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, I said, I kind of sort of got started on the self-development stuff because of politics. But actually, another big part of it was with food. And, and I read um, uh, this book, uh, Four Hour Chef by Tim Ferriss. And that sort of like, and as well as uh, Dave Asprey's like bulletproof diet book. And that stuff really, really introduced me to like the core fundamental of food and, and everything that, that involves man. And, and, and honestly, like I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, like there are some times in my life where I sort of do get off track 
And I, I think that happens to all of us. I think some of us are definitely more consistent than others. I try my best, but there are definitely sometimes moments, even you know, a couple of days where it just feels like I'm off track. And, and I look back to like what I'm doing, but even more than that, I always sort of revisit the food part. And almost every time it seems like where I'm quote unquote off track, there is a factor when it comes to food. It's either I'm not eating enough or I didn't, you know, like I, I, I messed up here or I ate something that had this in it or I, I wasn't giving myself enough nutrients. And it's like, that's, that's pretty funny. Like it's, it's very, very interesting. And then it's like, then I begin to tackle just like that single area of food is sort of like a stepping of put one foot in front of the other. And it's just very always surprising for me to see like how big of an impact that is from getting the vegetables to cutting them to setting aside like half an hour at the beginning of the week in the morning to cook almost sort of feels like a meditation practice for me. And, you know, I don't think there's anything more that ties into the environment than food, than agriculture, than what we eat. And that's sort of like, that's making me think more and more about sourcing. And I've always sort of been very sort of like conscious when it comes to sourcing, especially in terms of uh, the animal products that I eat, because that's such a massive uh, factor. But it's also a massive factor when it comes to, you know, not animal products, like, like the vegetables, whether it's conventional or it's uh, family grown or whether it's, you know, it, it has Roundup sprayed on it or, you know, a ton of like, you know, rabbits and mice had to die in the soil that my conventional kale was growing in. And it's like, it's such a, it, it's like such a big and complex and audacious op not obstacle, but, but maybe like issue or maybe like this vortex. But at the same time, it's also super, super simple and like one of the most human things to our core. So yeah, that was a great question. Yeah, food is, I agree that food, I mean, there's a thousand directions I could, could go in from what you said. And one of them to me is how delightful and how incredible food is. And it was for me, that was the main entrance into acting on the environment was the switch in me from, it came from that week of uh, that challenge to go for a week without food packaging that before that, I thought this is going to be really hard. After that, I was like, this is really delicious. And this podcast emerged from finally discovering that what I intend to share, and I hope I am sharing this with, with my audience is that th this is joyful. This is discovery and growth and meaning and purpose. It's not obligation. It's not sacrifice. It's not deprivation. To anyone who feels like it's coming off that way, I apologize that, I've, that I'm still developing my my message, I guess, or what I'm sharing. But what what in my heart, what I'm sharing is that there's this joy that I did really well in life, you know, lots of degrees, success, and so forth. And none of it prepared me for, it was keeping me, not keeping me from, but, you know, I, meanwhile, there was this great joyful stuff that I was missing and all the money in the world, all the degrees in the world didn't match up to, you know, connecting with people, myself, the land, the water. And it's, I don't hear you saying like, okay, it sounds like you went to the farmer's market and you had an experience like I did at the beginning, which is, there's a lot of stuff here. I don't know what it is. It's intimidating. And it seems like other people know, but I don't. And at first you go, and at first I went and I probably knew 
10% of the vegetables and fruit and whatever. And then 90% was, and maybe 50%, I was like, kind of have an idea of what that is. And then the rest was like, I have no clue what that stuff is. And if I get it, I'm, I don't know what to do with it. And now it's the other way. Now I'm, I can't wait to see each season, the 1% of new things that I've never tried. I'm like, oh, that's going to be really interesting. Like, I can't wait for the burdock leaves to come out, the root and the leaves, just because I just got them. I just started getting in last year. And anyway, there's lots of discovery out there and it takes a while to make that transition. It's a, you know, it's a struggle like you described earlier, but it's a joyful struggle that leads to all the stuff that you're talking about, about food being, I kept thinking while you're saying, a lot of people think of like food can be medicine. I'm like, yeah, fresh fruits and vegetables are medicine compared to packaged food. Like not hitting your head against the wall is medicine for a headache. Uh, Stopping hitting your head against the wall is medicine for a headache. Like, yeah, if you're hitting your head against the wall, I guess you could call it medicine to stop hitting your head against the wall because it'll make the headache go away. But I can, you can also just think of it as like, Hitting your head against the wall is going to cause headaches. Eating packaged food is going to give you, it's going to make you certainly not going to bring you to your peak. It's not a mystery. It was before. Like, it's like, oh, wow. Amazing. Like, what are those superfoods? I got to find out what they are. But now I'm like, it's not a, it's not like a super medicine to not hit your head against the wall. (laughs) When people say like, how do you not give in? And like, don't you want to eat ice cream sometimes? And I'm like, how, they're like, how do you avoid it? I'm like, how do you avoid not stepping in dog poop? I don't want it on me or in me. It's not hard to avoid dog poop. It's not like you make a plan. Like, how am I going to do this? You're like, you're like, it stinks if it gets on your foot. You're like, I'm glad there are dogs and I know they poop. I'm, I don't begrudge them pooping. I don't want it on my foot. And I don't want ice cream in me. And by the way, I do like sweetness. I do like satisfaction. I do like, you know, stuff that makes me feel really good. And now peaches... peaches are more, what I got from ice cream before I get more from peaches. It's like more satisfaction, more sweetness, less sugar. That's like everything you want. Truly, truly. Yeah. I mean, I think biting into uh, a ripe peach, I don't think there's anything better than that in the world. And, And when I was interviewing Dr. Greger, we touched on this a little bit. And what he told me is like, you know, sometimes I'll be sitting there in my office eating like a a sweet potato with cinnamon. And, you know, somebody will come across and say like, oh, you know, like, oh, you know, oh my God, I feel so bad for you. You're, you know, like you're, you're dieting. You're sort of like in this deprivation state that we talked about. And, you know, he said basically, I think the same thing that all three of us are trying to say of like, no, 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 no. Like I'm, I'm the one that's doing myself a favor here. And, you know, what I begin to realize, Josh, is like, as I begin to tackle, you know, as we've been talking about, food has been a massive part of my journey. As I begin to, you know, really do this, I begin to realize that, you know, for me, I was living off processed foods and sugar, like literally my entire life. Like I would wake up in the morning, I would eat a bowl of uh, frosted cardboard flakes with milk. <laughs> and then I'd, I'd eat like a muffin or a brown, you know what I mean? Like I would, that, that, that was literally my entire diet. And so when I began to switch and I began to really become aware of this, I realized that like the more and more that you are off sugar and processed foods and the things that you know you shouldn't be eating, the less and less power they have over you. And it makes sense from like a sort of a mental 
psychological standpoint. But then when you actually take a look at the science, and I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on this, so I advise people to, to truly look at the experts. But then when you take a look at the science of like the gut microbiome, for example, you know, it's been shown that if you have like a, a, a certain family of bacteria, a certain probiotic in your gut, and they found that certain families live off of different forms of food. A lot of them, it's like sugar. For some other ones, it's like different kinds of fungus. And it's like, they've actually shown that if you have that, you know, certain gut microbiome, you know, it'll even send messages to your brain from the vagus nerve. And it'll tell you to, you know, if you have the fungus one to like eat more cheese. And I'm not trying to like say this is like some big like bacterial conspiracy. I definitely think sort of individual autonomy can definitely sort of prevail this. But I do think it's, it, it's definitely a factor, especially, you know, like if somebody listening to the podcast has like, you know, never eaten a vegetable in their life. Like, I think there's definitely like a learning curve that somebody has to do, but it's like the more and more and more that you're on this path, the less and less power that those things have over you. And then honestly, the other big one here that I think is really important that I don't really think gets talked about a lot. And I think this is more and more common in impoverished families and households. I mean, dude, I cannot tell you how much of a drug, how much an emotional crutches food is, and even our society. Like something great happens or we have like some big celebration. There's always like, you know, horrible food there. Like I don't, I don't think there's anything sort of worse that horrifies me in America than a kid's birthday party. A a young growing adult turns a new year in life. And what do we do? We just load them up with like basically a ton of like crack cocaine with like a bunch of other kids running around and there's even more candy and there's more stuff like that. So, I mean, I don't know. And then we call it a treat, which implies that it's good. It's all that psychological, you know, conditioning, marketing, man. It's uh, it's such a, it's such an underlying sort of factor that I don't think a lot of people are talking about or they sort of like, for somebody that really does struggle with food, for example, they try to tackle it just with like the superficial or even as like a discipline issue. But I think there is a sort of a big uh, underlying emotional problem for some people. So, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting topic. You know, before, also before we hit record, you were talking about, um, oh, I started talking about, yesterday I picked up my CSA vegetables. And as always, people talk about food from farms being expensive. And, you know, sometimes I think, well, you know, it's not subsidized with the billions that the corn and so forth forth are. But also, I don't know how much this works with others, but since I go to the same stands at the farmer's market, I know them and they give me, they're like, they're happily giving me stuff that I didn't pay for. They're like, yeah, take that, take that, try it out, tell us how it is. And in the CSA, I know that if I go there at the end, the people who didn't pick up theirs, I get to take. So right now, I don't know if you know what ramps are. Ramps are like this, uh, it's kind of like a spring onion sort of thing. And everyone who's listening to this, if you know someone, if, you, if you've never heard of ramps before, find someone, ask around, find out, or look on the internet of like, find out people who love ramps because like people go nuts over these things. And so I bought some, I'm not crazy into them. I, you know, I like regular onions more, but I've got a friend and she's really into them. So I got some onions, got some ramps as like a special thing. And at the end, like, I don't know who bought ramps and didn't pick theirs up, but I got like, I think triple what I paid for because there was just stuff <laughs> left over. And I'm coming home. I'm like, this is like a gold mine. I, I don't know how to describe if, if, if people who are into ramps are like, oh my God, you got all that. And it keeps happening. Like my fridge right now, 
when I open the door, the light doesn't come out because it's so full of <laughs> vegetables. Mostly, I'd say about half were given to me by people because they're like, we want you to have it. And I think it's, you know, I, I talked to them and actually my sister works at the farmer's market. She's, she was my big introduction to farmer's market. So she volunteers there and she also shows seniors around and does tours for kids and stuff like that. And so she, she was, she also gets all this, she gets more free stuff than I do, but I just over and over again, I think one of the biggest outcomes of the challenges that people take on this podcast, I think the biggest single one is that people will find joy acting on their values. But the other one is that they keeps forming community oftentimes with the person's family or spouse or someone that they live with, but also it's just with people around them. I mean, I think it's inevitable that when you're in New York, you're going to come over and have some stew and we'll probably go to the farmer's market together too. And I'll just kind of walk you around and say, like, here's how I do it. Mm. And it keeps happening. It's food. I mean, you talked about the health side of it and the self-awareness and the meditative aspects of it. And then there's the community aspect of it, of it just brings people together in a way that I don't think a drive-through does. In the opposite way that a drive-through, opposite from what a drive-through does. So let's wrap this up with. I like to wrap it up with a couple of questions at the end. Is there anything you didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up? And and this could also be the same question: Is do you have any message to give to the listeners directly? Yeah, I mean, for me, I I, I don't. I'm not really a fan of step-by-step processes, but for me, a step-by-step process that's really worked is number one: take responsibility. Number two: take action. Number three: find a way. <laughs> Simple, direct. Not always easy to understand. I'm not necessarily easy to follow, but when you follow it, the results is like you (laughs) and the change that you went through. Mark Metry, thank you very much. Josh, thank you so much for having me on, my friend. We're going to do great things soon, and I hope to be at a farmer's market near you in the future. I look forward to hearing about it. Awesome. Well, I'm not going to say that Mark revolutionized his life, and I don't know how often he'll return to farmer's markets, but I heard that he meaningfully enjoyed visiting it, activating a new aspect of food for him. And food was already a big part of his life, his message, and his journey. Yet getting fresh vegetables from the farm was, I guess, outside of his horizon, which makes me wonder about myself and to point the question to you, how many things are outside our horizons? It doesn't take much to connect your passions to acting on your environmental values. Then you'll love acting on those values. It kills me that people treat the things that we're talking about, connecting with our environmental values and acting on them, like chores or distraction. Acting on environmental values is a way I find to connect. Mark and I are going to have a great time when he visits New York. Acting on your values creates community and connects people. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and Living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.